Storm Bowling Products. The Bowlers Company presents the Storm Collegiate Spotlight with Steve Klimkin and Tim Berg. Storm's Executive Director of Marketing and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now, here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Joining us on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast is Kenneth DeGraff. Kenneth is a head bowling coach for the women's team at Mount St. Mary's University. Kenneth, it's Tim Berg and Coach K. Steve Klempkin here. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, Kenneth, let's get right into things here. It was was announced not too long ago that the USBC said they will be granting an extra year of eligibility to student athletes competing during this uh, 2021 USBC collegiate season due to everything going on with COVID-19. And as a coach, I'd love to get your opinion on that. And uh, and what does that mean for your team moving forward? Yeah, uh, as a coach, it was uh, kind of a relief to hear, honestly. Um, we're in a unique boat at Mount St. Mary's University where we kind of have a foot in two doors. You know, we have a foot in the NCAA side, but we also have a foot in the USBC side. We compete for both championships, so... The NCAA about a month ago or so said that they were going to grant the extra year of eligibility for all student athletes, but that wasn't guaranteed on the USBC side until today. Uh, so it put us in a tough spot if, say, the NCAA, you know, we got the extra year from them, but not the extra year from the USBC. It could potentially put us in a four-year hiatus of not being able to compete uh, for USBC postseason play. Uh, so it's something I really didn't want to even think about, and thankfully now I don't, that the USBC has, has come to that decision along with some other governing bodies, NCAA, and I know the NEIA and NJCAA have their own thing going on. Uh, so relief would be the biggest word I would use. Uh, it's a tough time. I can't imagine going through what these student-athletes are going through, especially some of these freshmen that just came off their senior years, had their, had their high school bowling careers taken away. Um, and it's just a sigh of relief of no matter what happens this season, we're hopeful that maybe we can compete this year, uh, but we'll see what happens. But if we can't, it's that little insurance blanket we have now that this isn't going to count towards year of eligibility. Uh, if you want to pursue that fifth year, not everyone will, but if you want to pursue that fifth year, if you want to double major, if you want to go to grad school, those are now options and you don't have to stress that much about well if i bowled to begin this year and the season gets canceled because of covid did i just use a year of eligibility on one tournament and so it really puts all of that at ease and makes our jobs a little less stressful thinking about uh playing situations and whatnot well that's that's good anytime you can reduce a little bit of stress like that because there's been enough stress to go around here in 2020 i think for you know, to last a lifetime just about here. So that's, absolutely, uh, that's good to hear a little bit of a positive light on that. Now you're you're starting here your third season at Mount St. Mary's. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about the university, the program, where it's located, and also how you came to be? Because you're the you're the first ever head coach for the for the program. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. So I uh, used to coach at uh, St. Francis University in Loretto, Pennsylvania as a grad assistant, uh, which is a school in the same conference we compete in, the Northeast Conference, which is an NCAA Division One conference uh, for women's bowling. 
and I uh, got this job just about, we're almost on the three-year anniversary of me getting this job. We're located in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and uh, it's been amazing. There's such a supportive school for women's bowling. I mean, uh, it really seems like, you know, we're held to a high standard there. Uh, they kind of support us in everything we do. And it's really because of that support, it's really led us to some success pretty early. So we've been very fortunate. Uh, you know, we just completed year two and we're anxious to hopefully start year three. But, you know, after two years, we've climbed to number 12 in the country on the NCAA side. Uh, a lot of that credit goes to the goes to the freshmen. Uh, the freshman class, the first ever freshman class we had, you know, back in 2018, 19, because, you know, when you go on a college visit, usually you have the upperclassmen that can kind of tell you what it's like. You know, I, I love the school, obviously I work there, so I'm, I'm going to say all the great things about it, but I don't know what that student life experience side is like, uh, as, as well as the students do. And so it's tough going on a visit and not having that as a first year program. It was, a, it was a challenge. Uh, but luckily I had eight student athletes that, you know, they liked what they saw, but despite not getting that student-athlete feedback, and they took a chance on our program. But they're eight talented individuals. We kind of knew that first year wasn't going to be a typical first-year program. You know, we weren't going to the cafeteria trying to get kids to sign up for the team. We felt pretty good about what we had. Um, and by the end of year one, we were able to shock some people and get to number 19 in the country. Um, just missed out on the NCAA Nationals berth, finished runner-up in our conference uh, at the USBC sectionals. We finished fifth out of 16, 42 pins away from going to Nationals in our first year on the USBC mm -hmm. side, and that's 64 Baker games. So it was a lot of motivation going into year two to take that next step. And in many ways, we did. We got to number 12 in the country. But like so many student athletes out there, you know, we were talking about COVID and everything going on. You know, we didn't get the chance to compete for our conference title last year. We didn't get the chance to compete for sectionals last year. And we were hot going into those to those two events. We finished our our last season 33 and five in our last 38 matches, winning three out of our last four tournament weekends. Uh, so we felt really good. And ever since then, we've kind of been on this on this break due to COVID. But we haven't stopped working. And we have a we have a great freshman class this year. Uh, we have two people on the freshman class that finished top five in junior gold back in, in 2019. Uh, so we're just mm. eager to compete when the time comes because we know that even since the last drinking came out, this team has improved so much. Uh, but that all comes back to what I said at the beginning. We have support from the school. Uh, we feel like we're held at the same level as, as basketball is, which isn't common at most schools. So just having that support. Our president, President Trainer, such a great guy. He wears his Mount Bowling jersey at almost every Mount sporting event. Basketball, soccer, you name it. He has his own Mount Bowling jersey that he wears. So when you see your president walking around supporting bowling left and right, he has a Mount Bowling ball on his desk. Uh, it really, really makes you feel good about, about what you're doing at that school. And I, and I think our student athletes really buy into that support from the school. They love to bowl for the school. And that's just kind of made everything else a little bit easier to, to come together and why I think we've been so, su so successful with that support we have from the university. So it sounds like recruiting has been a big key for you guys. What have been, without giving away your secrets, but what have been some of your keys to recruiting ladies to come and bowl for you? Yeah, well, there's there's the, the pre-COVID and now the during-COVID strategies, I guess you could say. So uh, before COVID, I mean, you, you just want to make sure that you're, you know, I, I think in bowling we're kind of blessed, you know, and, and basketball, there's so many events around the world you could go to, you know, and, and 
the on the bowling side, you know, we have some great events. We have the Junior Gold Championships. You have the Turbo Collegiate Expo. You know, Storm's doing such a great job with their youth championships now that they're putting on. And so as a coach, if you can really lock in, you know, your school, most schools aren't going to let you go to every single event in the country, but you just kind of have to prioritize, um, you know, what's where. You know, for our freshman class, we had eight student athletes that came from six different states. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of played well into our recruiting because what we kind of did was just plant little seeds and plant little seeds across the country. So now, for example, this year we have a talented uh, freshman on the team, uh, Alyssa Alexander, but she kind of already knew about our program program because two years before her, we recruited Ashley Santos to our team. Uh, so because we have such a wide geographic spread domestically within the United States, I think a lot of people have heard about our program despite being a first-year program at the time. And that kind of helped get the word out. Now, like I said, we, we did get very fortunate with a, with a great first-year recruiting class. And so I think success is also one of the best recruiting you know, strategies that probably isn't a secret to anyone. You know, if your team's winning and, and, and recruits start seeing your team ranked in the top 25 of polls, uh, I think they t- tend to take notice as, as well. So we definitely got lucky with that first-year class. But um, – Planting those seeds around the country kind of really helped us get our brand out probably earlier than most first-year programs would, but just the success as well. I think a lot of recruits are, are looking for a successful program. Well, as far as you know, recruiting goes, that's important as far as getting the younger players to the program. But then, like you had mentioned, in the first season that you had, you, you got the team ranked all the way up to as high as 19 nationally. So what are some of the, some of the things that – that you attribute that to as far as what type of key things did you focus on? Was it teamwork or the better understanding the physical game or what are some of those, those, those uh, kind of pillars of the program that you were able to get the, the young players up ranked that high? Yeah, I think we focus on the word control a lot or maybe better yet, what you can and can't control. That's probably the main pillar of our program. Um, we kind of do a big team meeting at the beginning of every year and we kind of highlight all the things that could go wrong at a bowling tournament that you can't control. And, you know, think of pin, you know, lane breakdowns and oil patterns and, you know, just any situation that you really can't control. And we really try to focus on that. That's our biggest team model control what you can and nothing else. Uh, And it's one of those things that's probably easier said than done. Uh, So we make sure that each recruit on their visit kind of knows that's how it's going to be here. Uh, And again, like I said, easier said than done. You're at a tournament, you start getting frustrated because of a shot five shots ago, but can you control that? I mean, at the time, yes, but, but now no. So we're kind of a live in the moment type program. And I think I just got very fortunate that first year to get those eight ladies that really kind of bought into that. I think also probably what helped us get that first successful class is back then in 2018, 19, the NCAA signing period didn't start until April. I got this job in January. So there were still two or three months before anyone could sign anyways. Now that changed the following year. Now you could start signing in November and that's a continuous signing period until school begins. So I always tell people, I mean, we got very lucky here because if I would have got this job one year later, by the time they would have hired me in, a lot of these people that we ended up signing uh, might not have been on the board by the time we, we, we got here. But, but by the time I got this job, there were student athletes that maybe they had an idea where they wanted to go, but there were still room left to try to influence their decision. Uh, and we really just try to sell them on, you know, we're trying to put together a first-year team that's going to be competitive. 
Uh, it could be easy to go into these big names, uh, schools, and be competitive from the get-go. But what if you're the reason why the school first became competitive? I think that was something that we really tried to sell them on. It's kind of more of a challenge, I guess. Uh, and they kind of bought into it. We just had eight athletes that loved the idea of starting something from scratch, but also not a typical first-year team, the team that's going to shock you, the eight freshmen that are going to be number 19 in the country. Uh, they kind of all just bought into that. And that wasn't a goal we set to be number 19 in the country. We just wanted to get votes by the end of the year. But by December, we were already 19 in the country because of that kind of relentless chip on the shoulder uh, mindset, whatever you call it. But it all comes back to that control facet that I talked about. We just try to really focus on the present, control what we can. And we try to be the most competitive team out there. And that's just kind of, like I said, we're very fortunate to have the success we've had in such a short time. Uh, and we're very thankful for it. And looking at your roster, you got you have athletes from Hawaii all the way to New York. I mean, you literally have everyone in between there, too. So these people, pro- you know, your ladies and athletes, they probably hadn't bowled with each other. Maybe hadn't even known each other before they got, you know, got put, bowled with, uh, on the team with you guys. Talk about how that how that worked for them and, and does it help them as opposed to having that preconceived notion if you get a whole group from the same state and they all know each other, they know each other's game, that can be a plus, but it can also maybe sometimes hurt a team as well. Yeah, it's a great question. I think it kind of helped us. I really do. I mean, like you said, you don't really know these people coming in, so it's kind of a clean slate. It's kind of an open mind. There's no preconceived notion. Um, at the beginning of each year, like I said, we kind of have that team meeting and we kind of say, well, this is who Mount Bowling is going to be. We're going to be this team that controls on the variables. And something we try to focus on, too, is we kind of acknowledge that there's no such thing as, as a perfect team. We don't try to have that first team meeting of the year and say, everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows all year long. I mean, look what's going on right now. It's definitely not sunshine and rainbows. But when you kind of focus back on if we could control what we can in the moment when it happens, and if we all vow to, you know, adhere to that team standard, some good things are going to happen. And when you kind of have that team meeting at the beginning of the year, this is what we're going to do when conflict happens. This is what we're going to do when something out of our control happens. And I don't want to say it's an oath because we probably don't take an official oath, but when you have everyone buy into that, when those situations occur down the road, you could kind of point back to, Hey, remember when we met about this, remember when we talked about this, now it's time to act how we said we were going to act. And I think the team has really bought into that, which is a lot easier to do when you come in as, you know, eight strangers, 10 strangers, 12 strangers, not really knowing much of the people on the team. It kind of forces you to, to open up a little bit because you, you really don't have a choice. There's no one on the team you, you know yet, to your point. And one of the things I know a lot of the, a lot of the players, especially when you're dealing with uh, players that are just kind of coming into college, that they do have a hard time uh, balancing is, you know, the work on the lanes from the athlete side of it, but it's the other part is the student side of it as mm-hmm. well. And uh, what kind of advice do you have for them? You were able to excel in both. Yeah, I would say that you just have to really, I mean, it sounds cliche because everyone says it, but time management, I mean, there's no way around it, you know, get that agenda, get that planner, make sure you have everything detailed out to make sure that the studies come before anything else. Now we try to do our part as a team and each team does their own thing, but we have mandatory study table hours each week, twice a week as a team. We have academic meetings with all of our players that we do at least once a week. And it's kind of incentive based. All freshmen have to do it. And then after your freshman year, if you're, if you're above a certain GPA, then we kind of lax on you on a little bit. If you get above that 3.5, 
now you no longer have to go to study tables. Uh, if you're maybe 3.0 to 3.5, maybe you go once a week. If you're below 3.0, maybe you go to both days a week. But all freshmen from the get-go go to both days a week because we want that strong start for our freshmen. And, and you know, in the moment, maybe they're thinking, oh, this is tedious, this is annoying. But obviously it's because we, we care about them and we want that strong start academically because if you're not getting it done in the classroom – the bowling opportunity is not going to be there anyway. So you really have to have those. Oh, again, I would say going back to the, the, the time, the timing skill set of using your agenda, using your planner, uh, rely on resources, right? Like I think sometimes people are afraid to ask for tutors, but like ask for help. Uh, if, if you need it, um, just don't be afraid to ask for help. And that's both on and off the lanes. Um, so we do our part as a team, study tables during the week, study tables at tournaments we do as well, meeting with our players. Uh, but time management, I mean, everyone says it, but that is the biggest thing. Make sure that your priorities are in order or it's going to catch up to you quick. And then you guys also, you have, you're a one school team you don't have a, a, a men's team talk about that I guess because I mean we've talked to different coaches but I don't think we've ever asked them how how does that work for you guys and and uh, is adding a men's team is that something that might be in the cards moving forward or or um, how is it just being a one you know like I said a one team you know one one team sport I guess yeah I think a men's team has been loosely talked about at our university I don't think anything uh, serious has come from it. Yeah, obviously we're on the NCAA side, and as it stands right now, the NCAA only sponsors women's bowling. So if we did add a men's team, it would have to be strictly just under USBC collegiate. It would have to be as a club sport at a university. Um, I personally bowled at a school in Michigan, uh, Siena Heights University, that had both the men's and a women's team, and we would practice at the same time. Uh, and then from my assistant coach career to where I am now, it's just been uh, the women's side of it. Um, it definitely makes the practices smaller, which is a little bit nice. I mean, I don't know how other schools do it, but when I was in college, the men and the women practice at the same time. Both teams are about 13 each. So you have 26 you know, players for we had one head coach and a grad assistant at the time over there. So it makes it a little bit easier, I think, probably as a coaching staff to get more individual time uh, with your players. Um, but beyond that, I don't know how much of a difference it really makes. I mean, obviously the two sides are dramatically different, just working with, you know, uh, most of our, not all, but most of our female players maybe aren't as, as rev dominant with the ball and just being able to, uh, it's a little bit of a different game. I think some of the with the women's game, at least in my experience, I found it's a lot more uh, fundamental um, on, on their side, working on a lot of fundamentals with them, uh, you know, quiet off arms, things of that nature. Whereas, you know, on the on the guy side, I think you see some guys are just get a ridiculous amount of hand on the ball. And uh, it's just a little bit different between the two sides from a physical component. Um, but honestly, from, from a coaching perspective, I've only coached on the women's side. I've only bowled on the men's side. So, uh, that would be my feedback there. Hey, final question for me. What, what do you think, Kenneth, was either the best bowling tip or piece of advice you got as a bowler or the best coaching tip or advice you got that's helped you become a better coach? I think uh, probably an answer for both sides is mm. whether you're a coach or whether you're a player is just be open. Like, and what I mean by that, just be an open book, be a sponge to learning new things. Like I know, I know for a fact, when I went from high school to college, I probably thought I knew a lot more than I actually did. And you don't want to be stubborn. You want to be really open and, and challenge your knowledge and challenge what you could do. Like 
challenge that you could play right of 10, challenge that you could play left of 30. Because uh, a lot of times I think you just see these athletes come in and, and they're kind of glued to what they think their game is. But it could be so much more mm-hmm. if they could learn these hand positions, if they could learn where to play on the lane. Um, and so just try, try new things and, and, and don't be afraid to. But as a coach, that's also on us. Like we always have to be open to learning new things. Um, I, I think I'm a pretty good coach. I'm pretty confident there, but I don't think I know everything. And even if you didn't know everything tomorrow, a new bowling ball comes out or some new rule comes out and you have to learn that now. So it's because it's a game that's so technology based. I just don't think you could ever know everything. And as a coach, I think we would be very arrogant to think that we do. We know a lot, but we don't know everything either. So we're always trying to learn as we can. And as a player, you're trying to do the same thing. You're always trying to learn. So whether you're a coach or a player, I would just say be a sponge for knowledge. Uh, I think that would be the biggest thing I could offer as advice. Never, no, no idea. Whatever your coach asks of you to try, I would say no idea is too stupid. And don't be afraid to ask why either. I think sometimes we just shake our heads. We say, yeah, yeah, I understand, I understand. But if you don't understand, pause the coach for a second. Say, hey, coach, I really, this doesn't make sense to me. We'll be more than happy to explain it to you. Sometimes our, our thoughts are run, are run faster than we could speak and that we don't slow down. So we're not perfect by any means, but we try to do the best we can. And if, if there's a collaboration between the two sides, the coach is always trying to learn more. The athlete always wants to know why more. Uh, that's where you get some pretty good team chemistry and everyone's learning together. All right. Well, Kenneth, as we wrap up here, I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up. And if you have anything you want to add or ask as well, feel free. But this is my first interview now that I'm doing with someone who holds a Guinness World Record in one Steve Klempkin. So, Steve, as, <laughs> as we all saw, <laughs> you and Chad at the, at the storm plant there with the, the most stack, the tallest stack of bowling balls by a two-man team. So, Steve, <laughs> yeah. my, my question is, good, how, how long of preparation did it take for you guys to, to do that? And, and, um, and just talk about that experience, because that was pretty crazy to watch. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, that was pretty wild. And, uh, you know, I really, you know, hats off to Chad. He, was, he did all the heavy lifting, really, uh, as far as organizing this thing. He's had a couple of experiences. I think he had six. I don't know how many he holds right now, but he had at one time had broken six world records. And so he had been in touch with them because they had reached out because Guinness was going to do this, uh, which they did yesterday, this, uh, this national, you know, world records uh, day or Guinness world records day uh, and have all these um, records uh, broken the week before and then have to submit the video and have the announcement all done, uh, which came out yesterday. So uh, there definitely was uh, a lot of preparation in that. And the one thing that we did find, and that's why you saw all those case boxes, uh, of balls uh, that were uh, stacked around there, which was when those balls come down, they do go flying. So you got to find <laughs> some way to kind of keep everything sort of contained uh, and try and look at that stack from, from the different angles and different sides to try and get it uh, to where it would be balanced just right. But it was, uh, it was, it was a, a fun experiment. I can tell you if you just grab a few balls and you don't really – uh, consider a, a bunch of different things. And I don't want to give away kind of all of what our, um, you know, things that we had learned along the way, because we think we can break that again, at least a couple of more times. And, um, and we want to kind of hold a couple of those things, uh, you know, kind of keep it in our back pocket for now. Um, Cause we did try a bunch of times and found that when you got to like seven, eight, nine, 
that it got really, really hard. So for us to get all the way up there to 11, and what we had in practice, we actually had 13 one time. Uh, so we have we have a, a bigger ways, you know, we've got a little bit more of a, a ways to go on that. We can, uh, I think, raise the bar even higher. But that was really, really fun. And they had, uh, there was half a million uh, views on that video in le- just less than a day on Instagram and over 200,000 views on Facebook on that thing. So <laughs> people love those. They got millions and millions of followers for the Guinness world records and uh, people really enjoy that stuff. And I, li- I like watching all the videos from all the other crazy stuff too, you know? Well, cool. And Kenneth DeGraff, want to thank you for being your head bowling coach at Mount St. Mary's Un- university. All the best of luck with you, with your program there. You guys seem to have things going well and we'll certainly be catching up with you again down the road. Uh, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time.